Well, if you've got your Bible, we'll be in Joel chapter 3. Two sermons left in this book. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. This is God's Word. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we ask that as we contemplate these heavy words that You would give us a a sense of Your smile upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would be taught to think in terms of of last things, in terms of final things, in terms of the things that are to come, and that we would rightly order our affairs and our lives in light of where everything is heading. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that you experience as a, as a parent, I think, is that you, you find that... Um, Maybe as your children grow, especially as you hold them in your arms, your heart just wells up with a sense of love maybe that you've, you haven't experienced before, and it's a deeper love, uh, a deeper affection than maybe you thought you could ever experience. But it also is filled with times where you, perhaps there's the deepest sense of anger that you've ever experienced as well. And uh, I think some of the angriest times in my own life as a father have been when I've gotten a phone call, and I've probably shared this with you before, I've gotten a phone call about someone has attacked someone else, and usually there's one particular instigator who will go nameless at this moment, um, just to shield the innocent. Uh, 
But um, to get those phone calls, there is this sense of, of anger that just sort of wells up, and I can feel my whole body radiating heat, as it were, prepared to dole out justice when I arrive at home. And it takes some forbearance there. What we see in uh, Joel chapter 3 is that uh, this sense of fatherly protection is with God as well. And he is preparing for the day when he brings recompense on the heads of all of those who have done evil to his people. You see, God is a loving Father and he sees you. And his affection is upon you. And his great wrath and anger are against all of those who would do you wrong. And there is coming a day when the Lord will judge and recompense the enemies of his people. And so Joel prepares us for that. Remember, as we think back to uh, last week, Joel reminded us, or he was, he was giving us a, uh, a foretaste of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so we can place that event in time and space. It happened at Pentecost. So as you think of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, you say, well, I, uh, Joel sitting there perhaps at his desk writing these things down, wondering, I, when is this going to happen? You and I look back and we know when it happened. It, it happened 50 days after Jesus Christ ascended up into the heavens. Jesus baptized his apostles into the Holy Spirit. And it was at that point that the work of the new covenant in the blood of Christ began, and it was a work of reconciliation. We see that one of the, one of the great signs of this work of reconciliation is that those apostles were standing on the steps of that home, preaching in all of these various languages, saying, the, the judgment of Babel is being undone. Uh, the, lang- the nations are being brought back together. They are being drawn in to God. Well, in Joel chapter 3, we have a different kind of a drawing in. It is a drawing in for judgment. We notice in verses 30 to 32 at the end of chapter 2 that there was coming a day of judgment. A time of blood and fire and columns of smoke. And we reflected on this being Christ carried along uh, by His attendants coming to judge. But also to gather His people to Himself because there will be some who are saved in that day. Who are they? Those who call on His name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will not experience His wrath you will be passed over. But for those who refuse, for those who will not turn, we remember first of all that God will judge the enemies of His people. We see this in verses 1 and 2. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel. One of the precious things that we see, and we've reflected on this before because it happens again and again, Uh, we read it again and again in Joel, is that God calls His people His heritage. And we were thinking about this in staff meeting just this week, uh, reading from Psalm 94. It's as though God, God possesses all men. You know that. 
all men belong to the Lord because He's created them. But around His church, God puts His arms and He says, these are My special people. And that's what His heritage means. And because He has set His special love upon you, His unchanging, unwavering love that not even you can take away, He will defend you. He will defend you. And the sword that Christ brings is a sword for His people of defense. It is a sword of recompense against His enemies. And and notice what He says that I'm going to restore the fortunes of My people. But in the same day, think about this, in the same day when I restore the fortunes of My people, I will recompense all of their enemies. So we're describing a single day in which Christ will return and all of this comes to a final end in that day. God will give back what was taken from Judah. Notice it says where this is going to take place. It's going to take place in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, what is that? We know that Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings. He reigned alongside the wicked king Ahab at one time, and they foolishly went to war together, and Jehoshaphat was slain in battle. But this is not talking about that Jehoshaphat. The term Jehoshaphat uh, simply means a, a judgment. God is judge. Jehovah uh, will judge. Shaphat in the Hebrew. It simply means Yahweh judges. So He's bringing all of the nations. He's going to descend from His holy mountain. And just as the kings would gather for war, oftentimes in valleys, God will bring all of the nations there. He will sit upon His throne and He will judge them. They will not come up to Him. Remember this morning, we remember that Jesus brings us up to God. We reclaim Eden. We go back to the top of the mountain. This is the whole picture of Hebrews chapter 10. But for those who reject Christ, just as He did at Babel, God will descend from on high. He will gather them into the valley and He will judge them. God will judge His enemies. The second thing that we see from this passage in verses 3-8 through is that He will avenge all wrongs. The interesting thing about this is that if, you've, if you're reading along with me and you're paying close attention, it, it, it's, um, it might seem a little unfair because God is both the prosecutor and the judge. Now, uh, we might like to be in that position ourselves. I get to try the case and I get to decide how my arguments went. But God is the perfect judge. And He keeps a perfect list of all wrongs even the secret wrongs that take place in our hearts that we think nobody knows about. That little hatred that takes place, God will recompense. And notice with me in verses 3-8 through eight a few things. He says there, uh, as he says, I will, this is verse 2, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel. Why? because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. We remember there's an interesting thing here that that the nations have come against Israel of their own volition 
And yet, the Lord has used all of their evil intent to bring discipline upon His people. And yet, what they have done against them because they intended it for evil, God will judge them for. God will judge them. What have you done? You scattered my people. And notice what he says again. You have divided up my land. This isn't the Israelites' land. They were uh, dwellers in it. I brought them here to live in my land, but it wasn't their land, and you took it. And you defiled my land, and you broke it up. And not only that, but you cast lots for my people. You have treated my people as though they are worthless and valueless, as though you can exchange your money for them. You've traded a boy for a prostitute. A young boy whose life I created, you traded for a woman that you could enjoy for one night. And a girl, you traded for a skin of wine and you drunk the wine and you threw the skin aside and the girl is a slave. And God begins now to speak to specific language, to, to specific nations. In verse 4, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? As we think back to that era, uh, Tyre and Sidon, you, you might, these, these names might come to mind because you remember uh, Hiram would bring cedars and he would send the cedars uh, down to Solomon so that he can construct the temple. That came from this, those cedars came from, from that region. Um, Tyre is one of the regions that Jesus specifically cursed. He said it would be better for, for uh, Tyre and Sidon than for, for the Pharisees who rejected Him. They were nations that lived, Tyre and Sidon and Philistia, nations that, that were on the seacoast along the western edge of the Israelite people. And you remember especially the Philistines who were perpetual enemies of Israel. But they were also noted for their slave trade. And so here we learn that they are, as they come in and they take captives from Israel, what are they doing? They're selling them to the Phoenicians. They're selling them to the, to the early Greeks and they're sending them into slavery. They're treating them like chattel, like they are nothing. But what this demonstrates most of all is that they don't understand humanity at all. And it's not, it's not just the act of selling them into slavery. It is this, that they are rejecting those people as image bearers of God. And His special people. So God tells him in verses 4-7, through seven, I will return your payment on your own head. Guess what? A very strange thing is going to happen to you. Suddenly you're going to look up and the very people that you sent into slavery are the ones that I will use to judge you. Look what he says to them in verses 4-7. to seven. Are you paying me back for something? In other words, did I pay you? Did I give you something and now you are giving it back to me? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly, speedily. For you've taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. What they did is uh, when they invaded Israel, 
in the tabernacle, the temple was broken down. They took the gold of the temple and carried it into their own temples to make their own idols. They destroyed God's land, they destroyed God's people, and they destroyed God, the temple of God's worship. And now God will judge them. Thirdly, notice that this judgment is final in verses 9 to 15. Joel switches here from the narrative text to, the, to a poetic form of text. And there's a proclamation. God instructs Joel to proclaim this among the nations. Now you and I, were familiar with the text, beat your Beat your swords into plowshares. In other words, a time of peace is coming. But how will Christ bring this peace to you and me? What is the last aspect of our peace that He will accomplish for us? It is that He will go to war with our enemies. He will defeat them as our great King. Hear his proclamation. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, get all of your resources together. Everything that you have. Don't spare any energy. Whatever you've got, any weapon, any metal that you have, smelt it down turn it into a weapon and come up against me. You've beat your breasts. You have boasted. You have wrecked my people. You have wrecked my land. Let's go to war. And as we remember, as we read through the book of Revelation, we, are, we see our Lord there depicted as a great coming King. who will take to task all the enemies of His people. Look at verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. We know that that is a command to who? The angels. You remember the great parable that the Lord said that there was uh, a man went out and he sowed seeds of wheat. And in the night, there were seed tares uh, were, were sown. Weeds were sown in amongst His wheat. And the question was asked, do we go out? Do we get the wheat in? Do we try to pair between the two of them? And Jesus said, no, the angels will go in the final day and they will sort it out. And Jesus commands His angels, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, for the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for their evil is great. This is often in the Psalms and here in Joel is a picture. You think of the grapes being tread down and pressed down and what flows out is the wine. Well, this is a picture of Christ treading down His enemies. Like grapes in a wine press. Jesus commands them, prepare for war. Commit all your resources to it. But what is the final 
act. In verses 14 to 15, we see multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. There they are. It's almost a description that we read in in, uh, Revelation chapter 4 of the multitudes that are gathered around the throne of Christ worshiping Him. Well, in that day, in that valley, there are multitudes of the enemies of God and of His people gathered in that valley of decision for the day of the Lord. And what happens? The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. Again, another theme that Joel points us to is this putting out, this decreation language that represents God's judgment against these people. The nations will be gathered as a harvest, harvest, and they will be crushed as grapes for wine, and God will put out their lights. If you've got your Bible, turn over with me to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. There is a great war coming. There's a lot of talk today about nuclear war about the end of time and lots of doomsayers and prophets of apocalypse, maybe even nuclear Armageddon. But there is a war coming. A war between Christ and the enemies of His people. And in the end we read in Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. We are here in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And books were opened, and you can hear the voice of Christ reading, you you traded a boy for a prostitute, you traded a girl for wine, and you drank it. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book, that is, the dead spiritually, those who were never brought to life by the Spirit, who never embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. They are judged by their works according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. You think of, you remember when we reflected on Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said in verse 21, And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And he will say to them, Depart from me, for I, from me, for I never knew you. Remember what, what, what are their cries as they're going out? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not heal many in Your name? And the point that we made there is that even in their judgment, even as Christ is driving them away, they are trusting in their works. And they are judged by them. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was cast from the valley of Jehoshaphat into the lake of fire. As we think about these things, we remember that 
that we know God as a loving and a kind and a faithful Father only through the Lord Jesus Christ. But Scripture is also very clear in places like Psalm 5 and Psalm 11 that God has a very real hatred for the wicked. Jesus Christ has drunk in the hatred of God for our sin. But all those who reject Christ will experience the eternal and infinite wrath of God on their own hearts and souls. They will go into the place of darkness. And God is doing this on the one hand because they have, they have rejected Him, rejected every evidence of Him that He has placed in creation and including themselves, but also because of the way that they have treated God's people. And as you, as you go through your life, and as we think about the future of our country and the, perhaps the animosity that seems to be growing against Christians here, one, we pray for the unbeliever that God will deliver them, but we also remember that there is a day of retribution. For Jerusalem and Judah, it will be day, a day of the restoration of our fortunes. But for the wicked, it will be a day of fury and wrath. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, as we think about these very heavy words, I think our first thought ought to be that each and every one of us, if, if we think about the trials of this life and the difficulties that we go through, financial, marital, parental, whatever they may be, not one of those difficulties compares to the scene that we have before us in Joel chapter 3, 1 to 15, and Revelation chapter 20. Not, not one of them compares to that. We, we have not had a day like the day of the Lord. Father, we ask that You would help us to remember that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the salvation that He has merited for us by His own work, we would be gathered with the wicked in the valley of Jehoshaphat and cast into the lake of fire. Help us to remember that, O oh Lord, so that we will never cease to give You thanks. So that, so that the depth of our thanksgiving to You would grow and increase. That our love for You and for Jesus Christ our Savior would grow and abound. That we would open our mouths wide to sing Your praises. We ask this in His name. Amen.